Awesome. Good morning, everybody. You'll have to excuse me. It sounds like I'm going through uh, puberty again. My voice is a, a little bit deeper. I'm getting over a bit of a cold, so uh, just go with my bassy voice today. Uh, but I'm very excited to be with you guys. Uh, like Pastor Sam said, and, and I love Pastor's name, Sam. It's a great name. Uh, uh, but like Pastor said, my, my prayer today is that as you hear these stories, and that's, I, honestly, I want you to know I'm not here to preach today. I'm here to share stories. I'm here to share what God has been doing around the world. And as you hear these stories today, my prayer is that your faith grows and that as you hear these stories, you understand and that your faith increases, that you know that you walk out of here today and you believe that the promises in the Word of God are real for you today. Amen? How many people need God's promises to be real in their lives? I think we all do. I think we all do. You know, sometimes, sometimes we feel like God should be moved by the magnitude of our need. You know, you feel, man, I, I, I've got all this stuff going on. God should surely move in my life and, and in what's going on. But God's moved by our faith. And I appreciate what uh, Basil said this morning. Um, just praising God in the midst of no matter what circumstance you're in, that puts you in the right mindset, and that puts you in the mindset so that you can step forward in faith. So I want to take you on a bit of a story today. When, when Sam met me, and I've been buddies with, with uh, his brother Matt for many, many years, but when Sam met me, I, God was still working on me. In fact, uh, I was in a season of my life where if you'd asked me, are you doing what God's called you to do? I would have said absolutely yes. And I would have given you 59 different reasons why I was following God's plan. But never once during that season in my life did I pray, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. But I did pray. I prayed constantly. God bless me. God direct me. God use me. But never once did I say, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. In fact, it wasn't until 2009, and the way my life was at this point, I was working for corporate America. Uh, I was managing an office for Expedia, and then in the evenings, I was running my own business. And so I would work 40, 50 hours a week, come home uh, at about 5.30, 6 o'clock at night, kiss my wife, and at this point, we had three kids, kiss my kids, run back out the door, run my own business, get home, who knows when, and uh, get up early and do it all again. Well, one day in 2009, I came home, normal routine, kissed my wife, and as the door closed behind me, I saw the expression on my wife's face, and she was holding our second child, Kylie, in her arms. And I walked down the steps, and I got in my truck, I sat down, and the door closed behind me, and I was angry. And honestly, I was angry at God, because I realized the choices that I was making were affecting my relationship with my wife, and I realized that eventually they'd start to affect my relationship with my children. And I made a choice that I wasn't going to go to bed that night until I'd heard from God. And I know you've had this happen to you. If you really, really earnestly wanted to hear from God, you opened your Bible and you start reading through it, and then you get to a scripture and it just pops out, and you're like, that was for me right now. God inspired someone several thousand years ago to write that so I could read that today. I needed one of those moments. So I went off, did my business, got home, it was about midnight that night. Had my Bible open, and I, I was just reading it. I was standing in the living room just reading it. I was flipping through the pages. I just wanted something to just like, you know, like, oh, like highlight and know that that's what I was supposed to read. And then 2 o'clock in the morning, in frustration, I closed my Bible because it was like I was looking at a blank book. And finally, I said what had been on the tip of my tongue for so long, but I'd been too afraid to do it. I said, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. I surrender. And the second I said that, the weight of my pride, of my ego, of my dreams, of my plans fell off my shoulders, and God filled me with his peace, 
and I felt like I was going to float to the ceiling. My wife was sleeping in the other room, and uh, if, if you have a, a wife who's a nursing mother, you understand you don't wake a nursing mother up in the middle of the night. Uh, but God's grace was with me. I went running in there, and I said, Lisa, Lisa, wake up, wake up. She says, what? Well, what's going on? I said, I just surrendered to full-time ministry. We're supposed to be in full-time ministry. And fortunately, fortunately, my wife's amazing, and she started crying, and she said, I've known for quite some time. I've just been waiting for you to hear from God. And so this started a season in our lives where together we were seeking God. And this, I want you to remember, this was 2009. The date was 2009. And, and gentlemen, I just want to encourage you, swallow your pride. 90% of the time, God speaks to your wife first. So take time, sit, sit your wife down and say, hey, has God told you anything? You'll be surprised what she says to you. Uh, and, and women, don't take advantage of that. Uh, and so that started, that started a season where we were seeking God together. And about two weeks after that, we realized God was calling us into missions. And my first thing, my first prayer was, okay, God, missions. I'll, I want to go to Japan. If you don't know, I grew up in Japan. I'm a missionary kid. I grew up in Japan. I lived in Japan from the time I was five till I was 18. So I speak Japanese. I love the Japanese culture and they need missionaries. There's less than 1% people there that, that know the name of Jesus right now. And so I said, God, send me to Japan. And if I can describe God's peace as like a hand resting on my shoulder, the second I said that prayer, I could feel that peace leaving. And I remember I was praying and I could feel it happening. And my wife looked at me and she said, I don't know what you're praying, but it's not right. I said, <laughs> I said, I said well, I was asking God to send us to Japan. She said, okay, we're not supposed to go. I said, you're right. So then we started seeking God. And we actually, I was, I was talking to Basil about this. I had, we had a map out and we did one of those things where we said, God, Wherever you want us to go, just show us. And my eyes kept getting pulled to the, the map, the section that was all blue. And I, I told Lisa, I said, I think we're supposed to go here. She says, well, that's, that's just the ocean, Sam. <laughs> I said, well, um, let's, she said, let's, let's look at a better map. So we, we got on the Google, if you will, and we pulled up a map and found out, sure enough, there's a nation there by the name of Vanuatu. And that was 2009, and when we started reading through the names of the 83 different islands, we read the name Tana, and it's like this light bulb went off inside our heads, and we knew that's where we were supposed to be. So now fast forward, because I had to go through a season of preparation. My undergraduate was in global business management, so I had to go back to school, go through the process, uh, through the organization to get licensed and ordained and get involved in ministry and all that good stuff. So finally, 2015, we land in Vanuatu. Now, our leadership said, before you go down to Tana, we want you to live up north. They've got some infrastructure, they've got some stores, they've got some roads, they've got good running water. Before you get down to Tana, because Tana is the bush island, that's where people live tribally. He says, we want you to, to live up there. So we lived up there for about seven months, and at the six-month mark, the missionary who's our mentor, and he's been in the islands for about 17 years at this point, he came to me, his name's Brian, and he said, he said, Sam, I've got an open door to go down to Tana. I want you to go with me. Let's see if we can find a house for you guys to live in, and I'll introduce you to some of the, uh, the, the people I know down there. I said, great. Do I need to bring my family? He says, no, it'll just, be, it'll just be like a quick, you know, more of a meet and greet trip. I said, okay, great. So we got on the, the plane that's called the ATR, landed on the next island, then got on a smaller plane and went, went down to Tana. And from the time I landed in Tana, I realized Tana was definitely different. Number one, uh, the airport terminal is about the size of this sanctuary. Uh, but half of the roof was still missing from the cyclone in 2014. Uh, and by the way, they just got that roof replaced uh, six months before we came back. So just, just got it fixed. So we walk in, and then over here is a big hole in the wall. 
And as you walk in, you hear this commotion, and then your luggage starts shooting through the hole. There's a guy outside, and he's just chucking your bags off the plane, and another guy's chucking them through the hole. It's the advanced baggage claim. So I went over and grabbed my suitcase, and as I turned around, I was met by this guy that has his hand outstretched, a big guy. And I grab his hand, and he pulls me close. He says, are you Missionary Sam? I said, yes. And then tears started to fall down his face. He said, since 2009, we've been praying every day for God to send us a missionary. And now you're here. And immediately I was overwhelmed because 2009 is when God directed us to where we were supposed to go. So then he takes me outside and he says, okay, here's our truck uh, that, that we arranged for travel today. And you know how if a truck's kind of worn out, the truck bed, when you put any weight in it, it kind of separates from the cab? Well, this one not only separated, like it's like, like you know, like it's about to, to come unhinged. And we step in back and I think, oh man, this truck's a little rough. And I look around and I realize, this is the nicest truck here. Uh, and at that time, it was, it was one of about 10 trucks on the island. And so then we start down the main road in Tana. And the main road, it's actually been improved a little bit since this time. But the main road at this point, and this is the good road, the potholes were so deep that I'm standing in the truck bed holding onto the roll bar, and the, the pastor who, who, who greeted me is standing with me. And when we would go down in the potholes, my head would be level with the road. That's how deep these are. And it's dry season, so the dust is just washing over me. And over the next few days, I met with some great people that I knew would be friends for life. I met some pastors that are pastoring on the island. Uh, we started looking for houses to live in. We saw a bunch of houses that had crushed coral floor. And I remember asking the guy, I said, do you, do you guys have anything with cement? He said, yeah, in the next village over, we have a community house. Uh, and so we went there, cement floors, cement walls, corrugated metal roof, didn't have a bathroom inside, didn't have a kitchen inside. It's 480 square feet. And I said, we'll take it. Uh, and that, that became our house for the first term. We had to add a kitchen on the back and then uh, a bathroom off to the side. But uh, that's where we've lived for this first term. And it's been great. So that was my first trip to Tana. And at the end of that third day, I was sitting down and I was in the hut that we were staying in and I was taking a deep breath. And I had one of those moments where I was just praising God. I was thinking, I can't wait to get my family, get them down here, get started on, on ministry. And I, I even had the, that prayer where I was like, thank you, God, for stretching me, taking me outside of my comfort zone. And right then a knock came at the door. And so I answered the door. They said, missionary. I said, yes. I said, missionary, we want to have church tonight. I said, okay. I said, we want to have church in 30 minutes, and we want you to preach. I said, okay. Now, as a, as a minister, you need to be ready. You know? And so, I, I mean, I'm, I'm inspired, but I didn't, have a, I didn't have a sermon prepared for this time. So I get my notes out. And I'm still learning the trade language. I've only been there for seven months. But these guys, I mean, I'm, the guy met me at the airport says, we've been praying for you since 2009. So I, the pressure's on. You know, I, I don't want to let these people down. So I get my notes out. I'm putting my sermon together in the trade language, Bishlama, as, as best I can. About 20 minutes later, we get in that truck and we're whisked away to an open field. And that's church for that night. It was a big open field. There's woven mats put out on, on the ground. Uh, up front, the, the platform was a big pile of crushed coral. And then they'd taken a palm tree, cut it in half, and uh, slapped a piece of plywood on top, and that was my, that was my pulpit. And uh, everyone's, you know, starting to show up. There's the front two rows is where the seats of honor, that's where the, all the chiefs would be. Uh, and they have uh, these bamboo poles braced up on cinder blocks, and that's where the pews for the front two row. So about 10 minutes later, we go through worship service, and they call me up, and I preach, and I was probably the shortest sermon I've ever preached in Bishlama. is about 15 minutes, sat down, covered in sweat, and once again was praying the same thing again. God, thank you for stretching me. 
and thinking about the next steps. Well, I was about to be stretched even farther. Uh, and I just want to encourage you, if you're outside your comfort zone right now, embrace it. Because when you're outside your comfort zone, you have to be dependent upon your Heavenly Father. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's just uncomfortable. And so I was sitting down, and if I was sitting where Basil is sitting, my mentor and friend, other missionary, sitting over on this side. Uh, and I guess you guys say Basil. I heard someone correct me. Basil. Basil. I like Basil better. Uh, yeah. Uh, Basil, Basil, got it, Basil. I heard someone, Basil, sorry, sorry, Basil, got it. We're, we're good, we're good, we're good. All right, so I, I'm, sitting, I'm, sitting, I'm sitting here, and my friend who's my mentor and my coach is sitting over on this side, and he's been in the island for about 17 years, not, not Tana, but he's been around Vanuatu, and he's been in and out of Tana several times, so he knows the culture really well. Nothing really shakes this guy. And I see someone come and tap him on the shoulder and whisper something in his ear. And then the color drains from his face. So I'm really sweating it at this point. And I look over at him, and he looks at me and says, hey, get over here. So I come over, and I said, yeah? I said, what's the problem? He said, well, there was a Paramount chief here tonight. I said, a Paramount chief? He said, yeah, a Paramount chief. And uh, he said, you know, like a, a chief of chiefs. And um, I said, okay, I got that. And uh, he says, well, he, he likes what you said, and he wants to give you a gift. And at this point, I'm thinking, okay, that's not that big of a deal. And as he says that, these two guys come out, and they're dragging this big pig, this big hairy pig, and, comes, <laughs> and they're dragging it out. His legs are tied up, and the pig's screaming. And then this guy comes from over here with the club, and pretty soon the pig's not screaming anymore, <laughs> and the pig's there. Then, uh, and you can go ahead and pull up that first picture. And then um, I see a group of women come from the side, and this is the chief, by the way. That's Paramount Chief Tom. And then a group of women come from the side, and they pile these potatoes up. Uh, and then another group of women come, they've got these rolls of cloth, and they bring them, and then they pile them there. And I realize this is the gift. And so I look at, I look at Brian, and I understand this is a shame culture. And so to reject a gift or not be able to even fully take a gift could embarrass someone. And so I, I tell Brian, I said, I know we can't take the, the dead pig on the plane, but, you know, we'll figure it out. And he says, no. You don't get it. Look over there. And I look over, and all I can see over there is this two-and-a-half-year-old girl. Her face is getting painted. Her feathers are getting put in her hair. And at the same time I'm looking, there's this lady, and she's trying to put a feather in my hair, and she's getting really frustrated because my hair won't hold the feather. <laughs> and so finally she just sets it on the top of my ear. And, uh, and, and so I'm looking, and then Brian says, you see that girl? I said, yeah. He says, that's the chief's youngest daughter. I said, okay. He says, he's giving her to you. So then I look back at Brian and said, um, what do you mean? <laughs> and he says, he's giving her to you. He expects that tomorrow that when we get on the plane that you're going to adopt her and that she's going to become part of your family. So then I think, Brian, I said, Brian, what do we do? And here's my coach and my mentor. He looks back at me and says, I have no idea. <laughs> so I, I said, uh, okay, okay, we need to pray. He says, yeah, let's pray. So we, we pray, and uh, we're done praying, and he says, okay, I've got an idea. I've got a friend who's been in and out of this island for many years. Let me see if they've heard of this happening before. And he runs off. Now, let me, let me it, this isn't like I've got time to figure this out. I mean, torches are now getting lit. The guys that were on the front row, I've identified that that's the chief. They've taken their clothes off. They've put on the custom clothing. Faces are getting painted. I mean, things are getting real. And all I can think is, I finally showed up to this place that God called us, 
and I'm going to create some weird international incident and embarrass somebody and never be allowed back. So Brian comes running back. He says, okay, okay. I talked to my friend, and he says, other than saying no, we've got three options. And he says, you should know if you say no, it's not going to be a safe environment for you to come back. I said, yeah, I kind of put that together. He said, <laughs> what's, what's the first option? He says, well, the first option is you can just accept her. You'd adopt her. You'd have to go through the formal adoption process with the government and then with the U.S. government. I said, I'm not opposed to that, but Lisa's not here, and this is all, <laughs> this is all happening a bit, a bit fast. He says, yeah, I, I kind of figured that that might be an issue. I said, well, what's the second option? He says, well, the second option is you can arrange a marriage with one of your sons. <laughs> so I said, oh, okay, that's, that's, I'm not ready to do that either. And I said, well, what's, what's the third option? He says, the third option is you can allow the, the ceremony to take place. And he says, you need to understand once that happens, she will, she will view you as mother, your, you and your wife as mother and father. Her parents will, her biological parents will be aunt and uncle for the rest of her life, and you will be responsible for her. He says, so allow that to happen. And then if there's another chief present, and there is, he says, there's two other chiefs here, then you ask that chief if he'll perform a ceremony in which he gives her back. But what you're saying is, will you raise our daughter on our behalf? I said, well, let's go with the third option. <laughs> and long story short, our family grew by one family member that night. Her name is Amy. That's my wife, Lisa, with Amy. She's now six and a half years old. She's a beautiful girl, and she's a very important part of our family. I want you to know that God knows what you need more than you need, or more than you know what you need. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, he knows, and, and he goes before you and prepares the way for you. See, we, we, thought, we thought God just blessed us with another daughter, and our family grew, and we're so thankful for that. But God united us with Paramount, with Paramount Chief Tom and his family. And I didn't find out the significance of that until almost a year later. So I went back. Oh, I got to tell you about the phone call. So the ceremony ends. Lisa's not on the island. And Brian says, hey, you need, you need, to, call, you need to call your wife and, and tell her what's going on. I said, okay, 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 I'll call her. So I call Lisa and she said, hey, did you find a place for us to live? I said, I found a place. It's going to work. It needs some work, but it'll be all right. Um, You'll never guess what happened. I had a great night. They gave me a pig, some potatoes, and a bunch of cloth, and a chief gave us his youngest daughter. On the other end of the phone, it's dead silent. And then the next thing she says is, shut up. And I love my wife because then she said, before I could even explain, she says, oh, that's okay. We'll move the girls' beds over. It's going to work. She had already, figured, she had already figured it out. Uh, and, and Amy does, is, a, is over at our house at least once a week, uh, and her family, uh, actually my wife is, her, her father, Paramount Chief Tom, loves fried chicken, and the fried chicken is not commonplace there, and, and people are cooking over a fi just an outdoor fire, and so he comes over and he found that he could point to things in the recipe book and Lisa would make it, so that's become a, a fun time for us as well, but what had happened is God united us with this family. And we saw them as part of our family, but we didn't really truly realize how much of a family they saw us as until we started trekking. My wife looked at me about a year after into our time in Tana. She says, okay, we've done ministry along the coast. We've encouraged the existing churches. She says, but 99% of the population is in the interior. And when we say interior, you, you, you've got a feeder road that only goes so far, and then you just have to put your backpack on and you trek in. The tribes in the interior, they, they call themselves custom, and that's an English word that they've adopted. That means they live the old way. 
The women just wear grass skirts, nothing on top, and the men just wear a small covering, uh, and, and that's it. And, the, and they're living the way that they've lived for hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, and, and I'll never forget, as I trekked in for the first time to a custom community, I trekked in, and they have this meeting space in the middle of the village, and it's known as the Nakamo. And that's where all the rituals take place. That's where the shaman uh, performs everything. That's where the chief gives his speech. And that's where every day at around 4 o'clock, the men come to drink this root known as kava. They chew it up, spit it out, squeeze it through a cheesecloth, and then drink it. And it's like, a, it's like a downer. And when you drink it, they believe you can speak to the ancestral spirits. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a man's time. And so the women are not allowed in the Nakamal during this time. Well, I showed up into this community and as I was trekking in, I noticed that all the men, it was the time where the men were meeting. And I thought, I'm just going to go introduce myself. And I took one step into the Nakamal, and a bunch of young guys jumped up real quick and got in front of me. One guy had a club, another guy had a bow and arrow, and they made it very clear that I was not allowed to be there. And as they're making this commotion, and I'm just standing there, not engaging uh, in an aggressive way, but, you know, making it apparent I'm, I'm going to stay with them, uh, I see this man sitting over by a fire, and he's got white hair, and he leans over to see what the noise is about. He sees my face, and he says, hey, boys, get out of the way. He says, that's Paramount Chief Tom's brother. That's Amy's father. He's one of us. The next thing he did is he came over, he grabbed my hand, and he walked me over to the fire where he was sitting, and we were allowed to sit on the log together. Then he stood up, and he says, this man has a voice in our community. You see, God goes before you and prepares the way. What happened in a second there, it could have taken me a lifetime of ministry, of building relationships to prepare. You see, they block three things in a custom community. They block any outside religion, they block any outside education, and they block any outside medicine. They have, all, they have their forms of those things. The next thing the chief said is he said, he said, uh, you're a Christian, because he knew that I was a missionary. I said, yes. He said, does this represent your faith? And he drew a cross in the dirt. I said, uh, yes, yes, it does. Then he crossed it out. And he says, don't talk about it, because it's already here. What he meant was, I just drew it on the ground, so you don't need to bring it up to my people. And in an indirect communication culture, that was as direct as someone in America saying, hey, if you do that, I'm going to shoot you. And they actually mean it. So I understood my role in this community was to build relationships. So every time I'd come into the community, I would trek in, I'd meet the guys uh, by the fire, we'd hang out, we'd fellowship, and uh, they'd show me the pigs, because that's like your bank account. In, in, in Tana, you still purchase your wife with pigs. So if you're married and your wife's next to you, tell her, honey, you are worth a ton of pigs. Uh, and you still purchase your wife with pigs. Uh, and then we'd go see the waterfall, and, and, then, and then we'd go and we'd sit by the fire, eat coconut, and I'd come home. And Lisa would say, hey, how'd it go today? I said, well, it's good. Any open doors to share the gospel yet? Not yet, but we're just building relationships. We're just going to trust God to open the door. Well, if you can see in this picture, there's a guy, and he's got reddish hair that sticks out to the side. That's the shaman in this community. And this shaman has a special ability. His ability is to be able to do what he says, misave megem rain. He says, I can make it rain. I can, I, I can take these leaves, I put these stones, and I burn it, and when the smoke goes up, it makes it rain. Or he can disperse the rain if it's during a monsoon and they need to have an event. And the people in the village believe in his power because they've seen it work. And they know it works. And so this man would never talk with me directly when I came into the community, but he would talk loudly around me so that I knew 
that he had status. And I could tell that he was threatened, so I didn't try and talk to him directly either. I would just show him respect. And we'd gone into a season of drought. And on an island where there's no water supply, you can't just turn a faucet on and water comes out. A drought is a pretty serious thing. Uh, and we'd gone now for almost six months with no rain. Six months with no rain means that communities like this that aren't by the coast, because the coast, the water table is more shallow, so if you've got a well, usually the, uh, you can get to it faster or you can drill a new one and get, and get some type of water. Uh, these communities were sending their children two to three days to come back with a half-filled bucket of muddy water. I remember coming into the community, and I would always try and take a local pastor with me because we expect God to open doors. And as a missionary, our job is not to grow the mission. Our job is to grow the church. So we've got to do that hand-in-hand -hand with the national church. So I've got two pastors with me, and we trekked in this day, and everybody was sitting by the fire once again. We went through the normal visit, uh, and we were getting ready to go. And, and any time you, you disturb a community, you always bring the chief a gift. And on this day, I brought the chief a bag of rice, and I gave it to him, and he said, thank you for coming. I hope you come again. I said, I plan to. And me and the two pastors, we turned to walk away because the trail leading down to the truck was behind us. We'd taken a few steps, and the shaman, I recognized his voice. He said, hey, wait. I turned around. He said, I want you to bless our village. What he said was, I want you to speak words over our village. I said, okay, it's an open door to pray. So I looked at the two pastors, and I said, let's pray. And I said, God, bless this village. Show them your power. Amen. And then we shook hands once again, and we turned to leave, and we'd taken about five steps. And the sky just ripped, into, ripped open. It just started to pour. And the shaman started jumping up and down and pointing. He said, that man, that man, he pulled the rain. I said, no, my God pulled the rain. And this started a shift in that community where before they would introduce me as, man, yeah, me one man, we got good fella talk talk. This is a man who's got good talks. And then they changed it to, this is a man now who's connected to a God that has power to make it rain. We now have a church plant right outside this community. It's five minutes walking distance from the center of this community. And you need to understand when we say church plant, this is the first church in history that this community has had, had, has had access to. One of the pastors that, that trekked in with me regularly is, is manning this, this outpost, and his name's Pastor Simeon. He texted me uh, last week, right after Easter, and he said, today we baptized three. When we, left the, when we left about a year ago, we had a service there, and the adults were not coming, but there were 83 children that came that day. Did an altar call at the end, and a bunch of children came forward, and then we could see the banana trees in the back start to move. And some of the mamas who were sitting, hiding in the jungle, came forward and accepted Christ as their Savior. So it, it's, it's exciting, and I just want you to know, God goes before you. He prepares the way on your behalf. And when you just step out in faith, you don't have to know what it is. You don't have to have it all figured out. You just have to trust that God's going to meet you there. So I've got two other stories I want to share real quick, and then we're going we're gonna to close with, with another video. Uh, but this other story comes from Middlebush Tana. And we would go as a family on our truck as far as we could go. Then we'd get out and walk into a community. And oftentimes, this is how we spend our weekends. And we'd walk into a community as far as we could go. And our kids were automatic open doors because... Number one, the skin is a different color. Most of these people had not seen very many white people. In fact, some of the communities I went into, the kids would run screaming, away, screaming when they saw me because they'd never seen a white man before. Uh, and so we would immediately, we would create an open door because Terry's got bright blonde hair and, uh, and we were able to make friends right away. And on our way back on this day, we were 
got back in the truck and we were going down through the main road in Tana. And I was a planner. We'd been in Tana for maybe about, about eight months at this point. And I had my, I had my, my iPad out and I'm thinking, okay, when I get home, I'm going to have time to work on that update. I'm going to have this. Uh, because I knew it's going to be about two and a half hours from where we are in first gear with four-wheel drive and gauge get, to get home. And all of a sudden, my wife says, hey, stop the truck. I said, okay. And she says, uh, th this couple over here, they're selling some ginger root and some green onions. Those are hard to find. I want them. I said, oh, okay, let's do it. And they just had this big piece of bamboo out, and they're selling some of their, their produce. So she gets out of the truck, and I think, oh, this is a great time to plant. So I get my iPad out, and I'm thinking, okay, I can do this. That'll be good. Putting my plan together. Do we have any planners out there? Does anybody like to check the box? It makes, makes yes, okay, good. We've got some honest people. It makes, makes you feel better, right? And, uh, and so I, I'm sitting there, and as I look up to see what my wife's doing, I see her talking to this couple, and immediately the Holy Spirit says, you're supposed to give them a ride. Well, I look back down at my schedule, and that ride's not on my schedule. And I know that I don't recognize these people, so I know they don't live in my village. So I'm a bit concerned. Uh, because anywhere else is going to take even longer, and we still have at least two hours in front of us. My wife comes back to the truck. She's got her arms full. She puts it in the back seat. She leans forward, and she says, um, I think we're supposed to give them a ride. I said, yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, and uh, my wife, without waiting for me, she turns around and invites them in, and of course they accept. Number one, riding in a truck is a status symbol. Number two, we saved them almost two days of walking. So they got in the truck, and I found out where their village was. We had to go down the road to where our village is, and then it was about another three and a half hours north from there. So after, after about an hour, I, my attitude got sorted out, and I was really enjoying talking with this guy. We became friends, and we're joking around. And finally, we get to his village, and we drop him off. And I'm thinking, okay, God, it's just an opportunity to serve him and build a relationship. And as he's getting out of the car, the guy turns and looks at me and says, I want you to meet my chief. I said, Okay, I'd, I'd be happy to. He says, oh, oh no, not, not today, uh, next Wednesday. I said, oh, okay. And so next Wednesday, I get up bright and early because time, you need to understand, I grew up in a place where time is so important. It's even more important than the United States. You know, if pastor goes over five minutes or if my sermon takes too long, sometimes that's too long for people. In, in this place, service starts at like 1030 and it just goes and goes until maybe four or five in the afternoon. You know, there's like four or five different prayers, and it's just, that's the way life is. If you tell someone, hey, I'm going to get it done, if you get it done before you die, mission accomplished, okay? <laughs> and I grew up in a place where if the train is 10 seconds late, the driver gets fined. And the ultimate disrespect to someone in the culture that I grew up in is, is to disrespect their time. And so I still am struggling with that internally. And um, so I get up early Wednesday morning, and I, and I show up. And to my surprise, this man is waiting there where I dropped him off at. He gets in the car and he says, let's go meet my chief. I said, well, he's in your village. He said, oh, no, 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 this, this really isn't my village missionary. He says, I build my hut here and I plant my garden here because more rain falls here. I said, oh, okay. He says, my village is where you picked me up the other day. <laughs> so we spent the rest of the day till about three in the afternoon driving to where his, his village trail was. We got to where the road ended. And he says, hey, small walk no more. He says, just a small, it's a small walk from here. That means it's at least an hour. So I put my backpack on and we set off. After about an hour and a half, I came into the largest custom community that I'd ever seen. The, the Nakamal, which is that center meeting space, there were seven trails leading out from it. At the end of each trail was a cluster of houses. Usually there's maybe one of those clusters in a village. 
And as I walk into the Nakamo, there's this guy with white hair and a white beard, and he's got his hand outstretched with a big smile on his face. He's the chief. And he shakes my hand, and he says, he says I want to show you some things. I said, okay. He takes me to the center of the Nakamo, and he points at the ground. He says, for hundreds of years, we've worshipped our ancestors here. He says, you see that big banyan tree over there? I said, yes. He says, my father's spirit's in that one. You see that tree over there? He said, yes. He says, my grandfather's spirit's in that one. You see this tree over here? He said, yes. He says, the evil spirits get caught in that one. I said, okay. And he proceeded to explain their worship. Then the next thing he said is, I want you to meet somebody. And he led me over to the fire, and there were two logs sitting there, and we sat down on the logs. Now, I want to pause the story. At this point, the only thing that I have said is, hi, my name is Sam, and I'm a missionary. And I'm here not because of my plan. I'm here because my schedule got interrupted, okay? So then we sit down, and in this culture, you don't... In our culture, if we're talking and I pause for maybe 15 seconds, that's uncomfortable. In Vanuatu, you pause for two minutes, it's all good. still makes me uncomfortable, but... Uh, so we sat there, and we were quiet for about seven to ten minutes. And then this guy comes walking up with his cane. He sits down across the way from me, and he looks at me. And as his eyes focus on my face, it breaks into a big smile. He says, last night, I had a dream. He said, in my dream, I saw a fountain come up in the middle of our Nakamal, and these streams were flowing out of the fountain down each of the paths to our surrounding com- communities. He said, when the streams touched the community, it brought them life. He said, when I saw your face today, I knew that fountain was to come through something you were to bring us. I'm sitting here speechless. Then the chief grabs my hand. He says, I want to show you something else. Takes me to the edge. He says, you see that tree, that tree marked off four corners. He says, since I became chief, I've known something needed to change. He said, after hearing this today, I believe that change is supposed to come through you. He says, will you come here and will you stand at church so we can stand up a house to your God, a church? so that we can know what you know. Of course, I said yes. And once again, God had gone before us and prepared the way. And I was not sitting there because of my great schedule, because of my great planning, because of my great abilities. Quite the opposite. I was sitting there because I got interrupted. I want to encourage you. If sometimes you're, you're walking around and you say, Pastor always says God's with us. I read it in the Bible that God's always with us, but I don't feel his presence right now. I don't feel... God's presence, and I really don't feel his direction. Sometimes we're so focused on our problems and our challenges. God's a gentleman. He's always there. He's waiting. You take a step back and you surrender, you're going to find that he can get in front and he can guide and the Holy Spirit can lead your life. I've got one final story, and this is a short one, then we're going to close our time. And this comes from White Sands Tana. This is the community that I was just telling the story about. I just want you to see this. Uh, But this is uh, before the church plant. But this trek is from the side of Tana, known as White Sands Tana. And we've got a video we're going to play, and then I'm going to show these last two pictures. And any time that I would uh, go on a trek, I would take a local pastor with me. And on this trek, I took Pastor David Yo, because he's from the side of Tana that this trek was on, the White Sands side. They call it White Sands. It's the side where the volcano is erupting, ashes falling <laughs> like, uh, like snow every day, sometimes like a fine mist, sometimes like a muddy rain. There's no White Sands. It's all black. But that's the side of the, of, of, of the island that the trek was on. And we set out. It was a four-and-a-half-day trek. And honestly, the, you're going to see in the video, we had lots of open doors. God gave me an opportunity to pray in one community. Once again, a shaman asked me to pray. We got an open door from it. And then the presence of God showed up. It was a funeral. And the chief said, you can come back anytime. We met people all over the place. And it was just open doors. And by the fourth day, 
Sam, I'm at the point where I'm just ready to go home. I'm ready to see my wife. I'm done sleeping by the fire. It's hot season, so hot season in the islands, and oh, I didn't have any place to, to rinse off or wash because everything's dry. I'm disgusting, and I'm ready to be home and see my wife, take a shower, sleep on a mattress. And so I looked at the pastor. I said, when we come down out of the mountain, we can make it to the main trail, and by tonight, we can be at home. He said, okay, let's do it. So we start down the trail, and we cross this river, and you'll see it in the video. We cross this river, and then my foot hit the intersection of this small trail, and the Holy Spirit said, one more hill. And I look up, up the mountain, which this, this trail leads back into, and I look at Pastor David, and I'm just being transparent with you guys. I love the authenticity of this church. I was looking for an excuse. So I look at Pastor David, and I said, do you know what's up there? And I was always going to say, hey, no, Missy, I've never been up there. I don't know. And he says, no, Missionary, I've, 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 I don't know what's up there. He says, I didn't even know this trail was here. I thought, oh, man. He said, well, I think we're supposed to go up it. He said, okay. And one more hill turned into an entire afternoon of climbing back up into the mountain. When we finally came into this community, there were three or four huts that this trail dead-ended into. And as we're walking in, we could hear people, and they're saying, they're here, they're here. And I look at Pastor David Yo for an explanation, and he says, I don't know. So I want you to watch this video and see how God had gone before us and prepared the way. What this video doesn't tell you, you some of you may have noticed the injury on the man's leg. Uh, when I walked in and I first sat down and my eyes adjusted to the darkness, I could see the bones sticking out from his skin, and I thought, oh, man, this is, a, this is a recent injury. We need to get this guy some help. And then as I looked more closely, I could see the skin had closed up around the bone, and then you could see where they'd taken a file and filed down the bone uh, that was sticking up. And as he's telling this story, he says, last night I had a dream, and I heard the voice of God. And he says, I immediately knew that it was God's voice. He said, and it, it told me that two men that belong to me will come to your hut tomorrow. Then he grabbed his leg, the injured one, and he said, when my brother and I were, were young, and the age he described was 14 or 15, he said, we were standing on a cliff, and he said, we had to get away. And the tribal word he used was fire, so I believe it was like a, a fire. And he had to, they both had to jump. He said, my brother cried to the ancestors, and I cried out to the God above. He says, my brother died immediately, and I lived. He says, from that day, I promised the God that saved me that if ever a man belonged to him, came to my village, I would give him land and ask him to stand up a house, a church, to that God. He said, will you do that? The amazing thing about this story, other than everything about it, was that the fact that this man, that I, at the time I met him, he was in his 70s. He'd been waiting over 50 years for one person who belonged to the God that saves. Thank you for sending missionaries. We all can't go across the world. We've got, God's got an incredible plan for all of us. But when you partner with missionaries, we are your hand extended. These are our testimonies as the church of God, as the body of Christ. I don't take this lightly. I don't take this time for granted. As we get ready to go back, uh, we're going into a new season. Our greatest need right now is pastors. And so we're going to be starting the Tana Mission Center, and that'll be a place where we'll take our living quarters from the 480 square feet up to about 1,000, which my wife is very excited uh, and then it's going to have a place where we're going to start the, the uh, uh, Bible and Leadership Training Center. And that will be a one-year certificate level where we're training pastors. And uh, we're just excited. So please take a prayer card. Pray for what God's got in front of us. And I just want to encourage you. Ask God to interrupt your day. Ask him to interrupt you. And just trust him. And you're going to find that when you step out of faith, that God's already there. 
and he's gone before you, and he's prepared the way for you. Pastor, thank you so much for the time. I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Appreciate it.